Good morning. I'll be reading from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, and you can follow along in your pew Bible on page 764. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. wanted to thank Stephen Fryer for being here to help us uh, lead worship this morning. Uh, Stephen has some roots in Texas, San Antonio, and Austin, and uh, really do appreciate you being here. Been here about four years, is that right, Stephen? Birmingham, thank you so much uh, for helping us with worship. Well, this is the second in a series uh, that really deals with our whole theme for this year, which is Breathe, Holy Spirit Moving Through Me. Uh, some of you weren't here last week. You, you guys were skiing, right? A bunch of them were... Okay, real quickly, there was this nervous tick I kind of started having last year, and it was this kind of thing. It was five fingers. We don't have the video of it. Uh, we'll spare you that. But, but I started doing this, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit delivered to me this, this message whenever I would start doing this, and it was usually under times of uh, stress or strain or uncertainty and everything, and it was just five words, Holy Spirit moving through me. So let's try that one more time. Everybody put your hand up, okay? It's Holy Spirit moving through me. The thumb is holy, so you just, you know... It's holy, it's foundational, you know, I'm trying to find something to use there. Okay, Holy Spirit moving through me. Just do it one more time. Say it with me. Holy Spirit moving through me. Okay, I have found myself just using that uh, at points uh, of uncertainty and awkwardness. Uh, if you're around me and I start doing this, don't be offended, okay? But you're probably getting under my skin or something. No, but... Uh, Anyway, second in a series, I so appreciated your response last week. I mean, we basically tried to do a major theology of the Holy Spirit as God uh, last week. We've talked about welcoming the Holy Spirit. That's our emphasis for this uh, first quarter of the year. And we talked about welcoming our God, because when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're really talking about God. And uh, so appreciated you uh, uh, making your way through that four-page uh, handout that we did with fill in the blanks and everything. Got good response. In fact, we wound up uh, posting that uh, on E News and all. So um, really, really appreciate your um, opening uh, response to that. That was great. Well, um, this morning I really want to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit as advocate. We're also going to talk about the Holy Spirit as our teacher, as our guide. But this morning it's as our advocate and really comforter as well, depending on the translation that you have. Now I don't have a handout this week, but you might see in your uh, uh, bulletin there in the middle, there's an outline there basically of the points I'm going to be making along with uh, the scripture that pertains to it, and then maybe a little place to write if you want to take uh, any notes. Let's begin with John 14, verses 15 and 16. Uh, read it here again. This is Jesus giving the farewell discourse to his disciples. This is when he is soon to be arrested, condemned, put to death. And so he tells them this, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Now, depending on the English translation that you have, there are many different titles ascribed here. Sometimes it says, I will give you another encourager. I will give you another comforter. I will give you another strengthener. I will give you another helper. I will give you another counselor. Now, whenever that happens, when you have all these different words to convey this one word, what that's saying is when you try to translate it from the New Testament Greek, there's really no one word that adequately captures and conveys 
what that word means. It's such a rich word. And it's the word that means the Holy Spirit, paraclete. We've talked about that before, one who stands beside you and also really one who speaks for you. Para means beside. And kletos, cleat, really that, that can mean to call out or speak out or to stand beside. So it's really talking about someone who stands beside you and speaks on your behalf. I even like the Latin for it, uh, advocare, uh, uh, which is where you get advocate. Look at the one below here. Uh, ad, which means literally beside, and then vocari, where we get words like voice or vocal. Uh, it's one who speaks beside, and that's where you get the word advocate. And I like that particular word. A comforter probably is my next favorite word here, but I think advocate captures it uh, better than any other. So we'll focus on that, though we'll talk about uh, uh, one or two other words as well. We're familiar with what advocates do in our own culture. Really, an advocate is one who stands beside a powerless person and, in a sense, speaks on behalf of that powerless person to the powers that be. Uh, You might think of an attorney, you might think of a social worker, you might think of a minister in certain ways. And again, we are familiar with that term. Well, there are different words for paraclete in this context, but I want you to notice the adjective, some would call it the determiner, that's preceding uh, the word advocate. It's alon, alon parakleton. Alon is another, another advocate. Now, since it says another, that shows you that there was a first advocate. Who is the first advocate then? Well, that's made very clear in 1 John 1, uh, 1 John rather 2, verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is who? Jesus Christ, the one who is worthy and righteous. So Jesus is our advocate in a sense, our first advocate. You know, think of the day that you will actually leave this reality and move on to eternity, and you stand there before God the Father, and you know that you stand there unworthy. You stand there unjustified in and of yourself because of the sinner that you are. But you stand there, and then someone comes and advocates for you, speaks on your behalf. They advocare for you, and it's Jesus himself, as you know, and that's the greatest uh, gift you can ever find. And so he does that, but then you have this second advocate, another advocate. Well, the thing is, until we see Jesus face-to-face and he advocates on our behalf, we also, in a sense, spiritually have Jesus advocating for us every moment, every hour while we are here, and that is the presence of that second advocate, the Holy Spirit. So how does the Spirit advocate for us even now? We understand this idea of one day Jesus advocating for us before God the Father, okay, But how does he advocate for us? So this is where you can start your outline there if you want to, and you can look down at your bulletin, you can look up at the screen because we've got the verses up here too. You can do both if you're good at multitasking. But anyway, let's get right to it. How does the Spirit advocate for you and for me? Well, first of all, the Spirit advocates for our having peace with God. He wants us to have peace with God. He speaks up for us, hoping that we will gain that peace, that surpassing peace that he wants us to have. And he does that for us each and every day. Now, as he does that, again, the Spirit is really the presence of Christ inside you, okay? Really, the Spirit and the Lord Jesus are one. Uh, Look at 2 Corinthians 3.17 here. It just puts it pretty plainly. For the Lord, that is Jesus, is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. They're really inseparable, and the Spirit is, is, is Jesus inside of you. As I had a kid in Sunday school one time years ago, he's about five years old, he said, well, it's just Jesus invisible inside you, right? And I thought, that's pretty 
pretty darn good for a, for a five-year-old kid. But yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. So Christ and the Spirit are one, but they have clearly different functions. We talked about that a little bit last week. You know, Jesus came to be our advocate. He was our advocate on the cross. He will advocate for us when we reach eternity, when we stand before the Father. But until then, the second advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, will speak for us and stand for us while we are here. Anytime we fail, anytime we sin, anytime we are suffering, the Spirit is there to to stand with us and beside us and speak for us. Whenever we foul up, he does that. Whenever we need forgiveness, he stands by us. In fact, especially when we repent of something, to, to, to use the prodigal son terminology, you know, when we come to ourselves and ask forgiveness, it's the Spirit who really is prompting us, convicting us of our sin. And then when we ask forgiveness, it's really the Spirit who advocates for us and says, you know what, you've been forgiven. You are in Christ. You've been forgiven, grace to you. Get up now and move on. And that's what he does, and he helps us move on And out of that, we gain that peace that we talk about. Uh, Romans 8, 6 puts it this way. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and what? Peace. Yielding over to the Spirit gives you peace. But that reminds you that there's another edge to all this. Yes, the Spirit advocates for your having peace with yourself and with your God, and he wants that for you, and he's, he's trying to get that for you and speak that into you. But secondly, the Spirit advocates for our righteous living. In other words, you ever had a good friend who is what I would call your truth squad, <laughs> and you can't fake it with them, no matter how prideful you are or whatever, and they're your truth squad. They hold you accountable. And they love you so much that they're willing to confront you when you're doing something wrong, when you've got the wrong attitude and the like. That's part of what the Spirit does for you and me. Look at John 16, 13. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus speaking again, he will guide you into all truth. And if you go back to about verse 8 there, uh, Jesus makes it very plain. that What what the Spirit's going to do is convict you of your sin. So again, he's in a sense this this, um, inward guide more than just a conscience. He's an inward guide telling you, look, you know, I'm advocating for you, but here's the way I'm advocating for you. I'm giving you the truth because you're being stupid right now. You're not you know, living as you should. You're misbehaving or whatever it might be. I appreciate what Tim Keller says about this. Tim Keller said, in a sense, Jesus is the outside advocate, you know, whom we will see one day face-to-face advocating for us. But he says that the Spirit is our inward advocate, you know, he looks inside of us and says, man, look at you right now. You need to get this thing straight. You know, the Spirit resides in you anyway. You are the Holy Spirit's address. So don't think that when you are faking it to everyone else on the outside, the Spirit within you doesn't see it. And it's the Spirit who can really convict you of your sin or an action that you need to take or a decision you need to make or whatever it might be. He is advocating for you, but he's doing it in a truthful yet loving way. You know, he, he, he is against your sin, but he's for you, holding you accountable. Again, it's like this wonderful friend you have who is your truth squad who will speak up to you face-to-face and just let you know you need to get over this and move on, you need to stop doing this, whatever it might be. It's great to have friends like that who will speak the truth in love. It's a wonderful combination of truth and love. Isn't, isn't it great to have honest friends like that? Well, you've got one residing even within you, and that's great news. So the Spirit <laughs> stands up for you, but also stands up to you. That's part of, part of His important function for you and me as we strive to be more like the Christ to whom the Spirit points. Thirdly, 
The Spirit advocates for us when we are in unspeakable pain. Another good word that's sometimes used for the Holy Spirit in some parts of Scripture is intercessor. And this is so significant here. The Spirit speaks on our behalf in a unique way, empathizing with us when we are in pain or when we are feeling pain for somebody else because of the suffering that they are facing. Uh, All of us have been in painful situations where words just don't do. Have you ever received a card or a message when you've been going through a difficult time and it begins with words cannot express? You might have used those words yourself when you were trying to comfort somebody in pain. I, I just don't have the words. Words don't do it. Well, the great news is the Spirit helps us by putting these words to clarity for the sake of God the Father. He really puts words to our pain and takes that pain to God the Father. He's really our go-between, our intercessor in doing that. I love the beautiful passage in Romans 8, starting at verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers. And in context there, it's talking about how we all are suffering. You know, Paul goes on to say, you know, this suffering doesn't compare to the great things we're going to have one day in eternity. So he's talking in the context of suffering there. How often have you and I seen suffering, been in the process of suffering ourselves, and we just can't put all of the depth of our frustration and anger and hurt into words. I I think Josh's powerful words, you know, in his situation, he must have been in situations where it was difficult to put whether the anger, frustration, grief into words. And you and I have been there as well. But thanks be to God, the Spirit is there with us amid difficult silences. Um, I know I've said this before here, but whenever I teach a ministry class at Sanford, I tell my students, one of the primary signs that you are a professional in ministry is when you learn to be totally at peace with the awkward silences. And as a minister, you run into those a lot. It can be in a hospital room after somebody gets a bad report. Uh, it can be at a funeral wake when somebody's just in the depths of grief. It can be when you're counseling someone. Uh, it can be just in the everydayness of life, but, but being at peace with those awkward silences, not trying to fill it with, with shallow talk, especially not using churchy language, staying as far away from that as you possibly can. The great thing, though, is that the Spirit is there to help you amid those awkward silences and give you that peace. Um, last year, I was visiting a Sanford employee in the hospital who had, and, and, and I mean, the doctor had just left, and, and they had gotten a bad diagnosis, and I, I was there, and I didn't really, I didn't know what to say. In fact, I think I was doing the, the little thing here, you know, Holy Spirit moving through me. And, and I remember having this sense of the Spirit is present even though there's this awkward silence, and what I realized was nothing magical was happening. Uh, miraculously, the person wasn't healed right at that moment, uh, but I sensed the presence of the Spirit in a way that reminded me and assured me that the Spirit can bring healing and wholeness and peace and goodness in this situation in a way that not even the doctors, not even the surgeons, not even the nurses, not even you as a minister can. I remember the Spirit helping me be at peace with that. He gives us the words and takes those words that we can't even speak to God the Father and helps empathize with us and helps us really to be better ministers to one another. Uh, Which really leads us toward, you know, what can we do when we need to 
focus on Christ, which brings us to number four. The Spirit advocates for our focusing on Christ. Let's go back to John 14, 26. But when the Father, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples again, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, as my representative, he will do what? Teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Spirit wants to teach you everything about Jesus, remind you about everything about Jesus. Now, for those of you who were here last week, do you remember on that handout and everything, what did we say is the Holy Spirit's primary function? Does anybody want to take a stab at it? What is the Holy Spirit's primary? You want to go for it? Bam! You can leave. You've done so well. Well done, man. Exactly. Were you listening? I, I know he wasn't listening, but thank you for listening. Exactly. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to point to Christ. Uh, just one image I used la- last week because I-, I remember it so well. I saw a professor who had a portable uh, chalkboard, and it was really and, and, and it was just so primitive and so old school. But I've never forgotten it. He drew a stick figure of Jesus on the chalkboard, then stood behind it and reached around with his arm and started pointing to Jesus. In fact, was kind of thumping the chalkboard, and he started going, "Look at him! Look at him! Look at him!" And he came back around and he said, "That is the role of the Holy Spirit." The Holy Spirit is concerned about you know, being behind the board to point to you who is on the board. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer puts it a different way. He talks about the Holy Spirit being a floodlight. Because when a floodlight shines upon something, you don't see the floodlight itself. You see that which is bathed in the light. That's the way the Holy Spirit works as it points to, as he, I should say, points to Jesus. And the Spirit does this so Jesus will be highlighted, that he will be glorified, And he does it for you, too, so that you can savor this life and celebrate this unconditional love of Jesus that he brings to you from the cross to today. But there's one more reason the Spirit does this for us. You know, just as the Spirit testifies to Christ, we're called to testify to him as well. And this leads us to the final thing. Uh, Number five, the Spirit advocates for our testifying about Christ. Let's go back to John 15, 26 and 27. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. So the spirit will testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Yes, in context, he's talking about the disciples. Do you think maybe it applies to us well as well? Do you think? Of course it does. We need to do the same. Just as the spirit points to Christ, so do we. Now, Given uh, the name of the Holy Spirit, paraclete, I want to go back to that. About, you know, I want to zero in on one way that we focus on Christ, testify to Christ, point to him. And, and, and I know that we can do it through voiced testimony. We've talked about this before, that if you go do mission work, but you don't confess the name of Jesus in some way, you're doing humanitarian work, which is fine. Humanitarian work's good. But don't say that you're doing mission work unless you're doing what, Harold? I've I've just treated you medically, and I've made your life better physically, but then I always stop and say, do you know why I did this? Harold's a pro at it. Do you know why I did this? Do you know why I'm here? And then you start talking about Jesus. And I think voiced testimony is great, and and we've got to have that if we're going to get beyond doing mere humanitarian work. But given the name of the Spirit here, 
parakletos, one who speaks up for us. And, and so often people use the word comforter there, which is not just a soft word, y'all. What does comfort literally mean? It means with fortitude, come for, fortis. It means you know, bringing fortitude to somebody. But I like that word of comforter. Um, you know, I sense God comforting Josh with that marvelous testimony that we heard. But so important, and that's high on God's list for us to be doing amongst ourselves as well as others. Uh, you know Isaiah 61. I think we've got verse 1 up there, right? Uh, and, and there's a long list. This is, this is the passage that Jesus reads in the synagogue at uh, Nazareth. And he intentionally chose this one because it's really talking about him. But notice that it begins talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And again, there's this long list that goes beyond this. It, it talks about uh, uh, to bring release to the captives, to proclaim the year of our Lord, and on and on. But, but notice what the second, the second injunction is that the Spirit wants us to do. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to what? Comfort the brokenhearted. And the, clear, the word there clearly is comfort. He wants me to comfort the brokenhearted, which leads me to one of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. I have it memorized from the NRSV, but I like NLT here. Uh, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And it's God's Spirit that, through which we deliver that comfort to other people. The Spirit residing in us, giving us uh, even the discernment, whether just to be with someone or to offer some words or to pray with them, whatever it might be, it's the Spirit that's helping us learn to be better comforters of other people. And we comfort others with that same unconditional love that Jesus and the Spirit have for us. A um, number of years ago, there was a real tragic loss here at Brookwood, uh, somebody who, who passed on way too soon, at least in our minds, um, but one of the great blessings out of that was how often I heard different people throughout that weekend uh, say, man, you people, Brookwood, y'all really, y'all really look out for each other. I kept hearing that over and over. And I think we're good at that. I think we can always do better. But uh, I think we do well with that. And I was thinking about that the other day, and I was remembering you know, this idea of breathe. That's our verbal uh, theme for the year, breathe. You know? And I thought, how can we apply that here? And I thought, well, we breathe in the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit resides in us, and we breathe out uh, the love of Jesus through uh, the help of the, the Spirit moving through us. And I thought, gosh, could I find an image for that? And I didn't really find an image for that this week, but I was talking with that, about that with my wife, Deanna, when we were having coffee. Anybody been to East 59th in Woodlawn? Oh, you got to go there. Eat lunch. Nobody's been to East 59th? Okay, see, Stephen's the, the, the hip musician, see? It's you and me. We are down with it, bro. Okay. Yeet. And all those other words. I know, I know. I don't know these words. I don't even know what it means. Anyway, we, we were sitting there sipping coffee. Uh, and I thought, gosh, what, what is some image I could use? And then I looked, and I looked at the shirt Deanna was wearing, my wife was wearing. And I don't know if you could say, inhale, exhale, love. And I thought, that's it right there. Uh, you know, you, you breathe in the Spirit. You breathe out the love of Christ to others. Okay, I know she doesn't want that there on the, all the time. You, you can move on, Jackie. Uh, but that's how we do it. And, and, and the way we breathe in the Spirit and then breathe out the love of Jesus with the help of the Spirit can be a powerful testimony. Many, many years ago, um, uh, before I started pastoring here, I, was, I, was, I sat where you sat, as Ezekiel would say. 
And I heard a wonderful sermon by our former pastor, Paul Baisden. How many of y'all remember Paul? Wonderful teacher, preacher, great guy. He's, he's in Texas now, uh, Stephen, in uh, Frisco. And he preached a sermon called The Proof of Revival. And I stole that title a number of months ago and preached from it again because I so appreciated what he said about that. The reason he was preaching it at the time was that you had some strange stuff going on with members of the body of Christ in different parts, in Canada and different places, and they said to really experience revival, you have to engage in holy laughter. And people were laughing in the Spirit, or people were seeing these great signs and wonders, and people were speaking in tongues. This is the way you experience revival. Paul got up here, and I'll never, he said, folks, you know, the, the way you experience revival, the proof of revival, are you ready for this? It's how well you love each other in the church. (laughs) And that was it. That's from a very bright guy, by the way. And he just said, it's how well you love one another in the church. And I was reminded of uh, what the great W.T. Connor said, uh, taught at Southwestern Baptist Seminary for 50 years, was the greatest Southern Baptist theologian of the first part of the 20th century. He was teaching in class one day, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit, and someone spoke up and said, Dr. Connor, what is revival anyway? And this wise old fellow just said, revival is not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. That's well put. It's how well you walk, how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. And a lot of that has to do with with the mundane aspects of just loving one another and the everydayness of life. I was sitting in a committee meeting the other day. Yay, committee meetings. And... uh, I did. I sat around there and I thought, you know, I have to be here. I get paid. You know, but, but nobody else had to get paid and they were there. And we were going over a lot of uh, uh, minutiae and, and important details that really had bearing on the life and work and the spirit blowing through Brookwood Baptist Church. And I thought, this really is so cool. These folks are in here and they don't have to be and they are advocating on behalf of the body of Christ. And I really did, I thought, and I'm not always thinking lofty stuff like that, believe me, in a committee meeting, but I was, I was thinking, this is so cool. And I thought about people who just set up the tables for the Lord's Supper. I thought about people who help clean up, you know, after we have some kind of big fellowship or party or whatever, you know. And, and I thought about Sunday school teachers, my gosh, and, and we do have the best Sunday school teachers of any church I've ever been to. And I think, my gosh, you know, they are advocating, not just for Christ, but for the body of Christ and being there for us and continuing the work of the Spirit working in and through us here at Brookwood. Just, I was just so inspired in a committee meeting. It's strange. Uh, I can't help but think of what Tertullian, the great uh, church father of the second century, said. There's that wonderful quote where he uh, looked around and he saw these uh, pagan folks who were watching Christians And he said, the pagans cry out with awe how these Christians love each other. That was the way that Christianity was spreading by the authentic love that they were having amongst themselves. One of the first verses I was taught was John 13, 35. Does anybody know that? By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you, does anybody know that you have love for one another? That's the sign. That's the primary sign. So we need to lead into the Spirit and let Him bind us together. And we sing these songs. There's a sweet, sweet Spirit in this place. I know that it's the presence of the Lord. But I shouldn't say this. I didn't say it. But I always love it when we get to the second stanza. There are sweet expressions on each face. And people think it's Spirit again. And I know that it's the presence of the Lord. And you hear everybody say, Spresence. Do you ever notice that? It's great. Notice it. I've just broken up a good worship moment for you later on. But anyway... 
or we sing, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, we will walk with each other, we will walk side by side, and they'll know we are Christians by what? Our love. And again, this Spirit is this advocate who, who leads us to Christ, our first advocate, and, and Christ was willing to be our advocate in such a selfless way. And let me just close by suggesting that, that we really don't deserve His advocacy. We've got it, but do we deserve it? When we think about how often we embarrass Him, how often we humiliate Him. Uh, many of you remember John Claypool was uh, the rector over at uh, St. Luke's Episcopal for many years. Marvelous preacher great theologian. When John was a student at Baylor University, he was interested in becoming class president. And apparently it used to be a big thing there where at Baylor on on a morning during the week they would cancel classes and they'd have this big assembly so people could be nominated. It was just like a big political convention or something. And John was interested in being the class president. And so he had a little campaign team together and everything and they met uh, late one afternoon and then they, uh, after they uh, ended the meeting, they went to have dinner together. And they went to a local restaurant there in Waco and just sat at this table and uh, were talking. And uh, somebody brought up uh, the name of someone who's a fellow student who happened to have a speech disorder. And someone started snickering about that person. And John kind of decided to capitalize on that. And he began to mimic this guy uh, and and was kind of poking fun at him. And was doing, he was getting a lot of laughs there at the table. Suddenly he, suddenly he looked two booths down, and he saw the guy that he was mimicking. Um, and the guy's face was just flushed red with humiliation, embarrassment. And he just gathered his books that he had there, because he'd been studying in this restaurant, and just, just walked out real quickly. And John said, you know, he, he, he had never felt so much shame in hurting someone, hurting someone... Um, emotionally, just really uh, piercing their psyche in such a profound way with something that they can't even help. And he said that his shame was not nearly (laughs) as much as the next morning when they had that assembly with all the students. And when they opened it up for nominations, the first person to stand up was that student. And he stood up and nominated John Claypool to be class president. And John said he found out later that that fellow had planned to do that anyway. He had never talked to John about it, but he had planned to do that. And that he decided that even though John had done what he had done just the night before, he still thought that John would be a good class president, that he could be his class president. And he nominated him. And I think about that, and I think, how often do we humiliate Jesus by how we act, by what we think, when we let our pride get in the way, when we let our greed get in the way? Uh, when we become too image conscious or whatever it might be, and we just embarrass him. And yet he keeps coming back again and again, morning by morning, and continues to vote for us. (laughs) That is grace upon grace. Thank God that in this (laughs) world of division and pain and injustice and human suffering, and human sin, thank God that we have him who didn't just stand up for us, who doesn't just stand up for us. He literally hung for us as our first advocate. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we 
blush ourselves in embarrassment when we say that you are welcome here. You already are present here. We are the ones who are so blessed to be welcomed by you. Uh, We ask that we would have all the more, not just an understanding of you and, and your attributes and how you work in our lives, but all the more a desire to point to Jesus just as you do. We ask that you move through us, that we might do that all the more effectively. Forgive us and move us to the conviction of sin when we need to have that done so. And we thank you so much for the grace that you deliver to us from the Christ who died for us. That is grace upon grace upon grace, and we give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.